If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Shabbos, Erev Shabbos to all of you, and what a special Shabbos this is going to be. It's, of course, a Parsha is Pinchas that we'll talk about soon. It's Shabbos Mavorchem when we bless the new month of Menachem Av, and that too is extraordinarily special. It is something which we have to consider and think about this time of the year. This is a time of the year where, well, for all appearances, it is a sad time of the year. It's the three weeks. It's called Bein HaMitzarim, between the two difficult days, Shivasa Batavos, the 17th of Tammuz that we commemorated this past Sunday, a fast day when the actual destruction, Jerusalem, the temple, took place, which resulted in the most tragic time in Jewish history, destruction of the first and second temple and the exile of the people. And it culminates with Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, when the actual temple was burned and destroyed. And because of that, it's a time that there are all sorts of restrictions in terms of behavior. It's a time when festivity is restricted. It's a time that we have to act in a way that reflects our concern and our sadness. It's a time that we have to think about what in fact took place, what was destruction all about, what indeed is destruction all about. It's not only taking a building made out of stone and destroying it, it means that the presence of divine revelation that existed within the temple was removed. That's the ultimate tragedy. It's not a physical tragedy, more so it's a spiritual tragedy. The exile is not only being removed from our land and being exiled to a strange and difficult place, it means being put in a place where our behavior is now such that we cannot fulfill the commandments that we could when the temple is standing and we are free people in the Holy Land. It's a time that we have to think about all sorts of issues relating to Hurban, to destruction. It's a time that we have to reflect upon our own behavior. It's a time that we have to think about who and what we are, what we are able to do and what we are able to contribute to this time, how we should be responding to the moment. Is it a time that we simply have to merely think about that which took place, or is there something that we can and therefore must do in order to fulfill with a degree of authenticity our sense of sadness? It's the Bainam, it's the Rim, it's the three weeks, and therefore this is a time that we have to think about and act accordingly in relationship to that which this time demands. At the same time, however, we are told that, that the month that we are blessing tomorrow, please God in Shul, is not the month of Av as such, it's called Menachem Av, consoling, the month of consolation, which of course is, well, a bit bewildering. After all, the month of Av ushers in the most difficult and painful and sad day of the year, Tisha B'Av, the day that the actual temple was fully and completely destroyed. And yet we talk about Menachem, we talk about consolation. We don't talk about grief, we don't talk about sorrow, 
we talk about consolation, and this is something which is important for us to understand, that together with grief, together with sorrow, together with pain, comes consolation, comes the idea that this is something which will in fact come to an end. We don't only recall the pain, we don't only recall the difficulty, that which we lost, we talk about rebuilding as well. It's a time that we have to think about that which we've lost, but it's a time that we have to dedicate our energies, our strength, our hopes, our desires, our ambition to the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple with the coming of Mashiach. This is a time that we have to think about that which can and should be in the most glorious way. And therefore the month is not only of, it's Menachem of, a time of consolation. And consolation is not only, well, coming to terms with what happened, as people say, with the passage of time, it becomes easier and you become consoled. No, consolation, in the true sense of the word, consolation really means that you have, in fact, come to a point where you are able to bring about a complete restoration of that which was taken away. You're able to rebuild the temple. Not only that you are now feeling less painful, that you are now no longer feeling the grief with intensity. No, you are able to actually celebrate the rebuilding of the temple. That's what true consolation is all about. When we talk about the sense of lost consolation, it's not getting a pat on the back and saying all will be well with the passage of time. True consolation comes when we fulfill that which our prophets have promised, that there will come a time when the dead will rise, yes, and we will be reunited with our loved ones. That's the true consolation. What happens in between is only a temporary dimension of consolation. It's an ease of the pain. True consolation is not only a total removal of the pain, but to bring back in the fullest possible way that which we had, and even in a greater measure, in a more powerful measure. This is what Menachem Av is all about. And translated literally, Menachem Av means consoling the Father. Who is the Father? The Father, of course, is Father in Heaven. Who's our Father in Heaven? God. And who consoles our Father in Heaven? Our Father in Heaven is consoled by you and me, by His children, we the people. This is something which is extremely powerful in terms of people consoling God. Usually we turn to God and we ask Him that He consoles us. We ask God that in His infinite mercy, in his great and glorious act of kindness and giving, that he brings about a sense of consolation in times of grief and need within our own lives. It comes to the month of Av, Hashem is asking us, limited, small human beings, to console him, to bring about a state of consolation within God himself. Because ultimately, who grieves really? at the destruction of the temple, most of all. Who feels a sense of loss? Who really feels the pain of exile? The father whose children are in exile. The father who sees his temple destroyed. That's the one 
who feels the churban, the destruction, more than anyone else. And he turns to us. He turns to the Jewish people and he expects us to console him. And how do we console God? We don't pat God on the back. We don't say, well, kind words. To a degree we do. There has to be an action of restoration. God expects us to bring about the ultimate change that somehow we appeal to him that we should leave exile. We should have the geula. We should have the redemption. We should have the rebuilding of the temple. This is the consolation. Not only that we need, but that Hashem himself, God himself needs. This is the greatness of the month of Menachem Av. And tomorrow in Shul, we will be blessing the month of Menachem Av, which means, of course, that tomorrow in Shul, we will create an energy through our blessing that will enable this month to have the power of consoling God himself. And this is why it's so important to say that prayer and to say that prayer with a degree of commitment that I will do something about it. I will do that extra mitzvah. I will do something that will show my sense of concern that I want Hashem to be consoled. I want the situation to be restored to most perfect state, not only restored to that which was once upon a time, but even to a greater degree of greatness and holiness. More of that soon. This is the Pasha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about the three weeks. We're talking about the Shabbos ushering in Menachem of consolation of the Father where Hashem himself turns to us and depends on us to bring him consolation. How does this connect to the Parsha of Pinchas? Pinchas, of course, was that individual who stood up that one individual who stood up and through his heroic act saved the entire Jewish people. The Jewish people unfortunately began to sin in the most immoral sort of way. And through Pinchas' act, the plague stopped. God forgave them. And although there were those who wanted to, well, call Pinchas a villain, how dare he behave in that sort of way? Who was the zealous to behave in that sort of way? What does God say? He avenged me. And because of that, I am going to give him my covenant of peace. And he became a Kohen. He became a priest. Something that you cannot earn. And something that no one earned other than Pinchas. Only Aaron and his four sons were appointed by God to be priests from the family of Levites. Pinchas, through his heroic act, which others saw as an act of violence, God said, no, it was not an act of violence. It was a heroic act of Mesirat Nefesh, of incredible self-sacrifice, something which indicated a tremendous expression of Pinchas's concern for the sanctity of God's name. And because he acted with such self-sacrifice, without any, without any concern for himself, absolutely altruistic. God says, this was something that avenged me. And because of that, I will not destroy the Jewish people. And because of that, I will reward Pinchas with the ultimate gift of the covenant of peace. I will make him 
Uh, go ahead. But we have to ask ourselves, how is that connected to the three weeks to the Shabbos when we bless the month of Menachem Av? And Pinchas is always read in close proximity or within the three weeks as we do this year either right before or it's the first Shabbos of the three weeks. What is the connection between Pinchas and all of that? And as we examine the Parsha, there are three significant sections to the Parsha. First of all, it opens with the story of Pinchas, the latter part of the story where God rewards them. And then there's a fascinating story, which is of great interest to women, the daughters of Tzalafch, Benot Tzalafchad. The laws of inheritance, as they were promulgated at the time was that only male male were able to inherit from a father if there were no male children it went off to others brothers etc etc the daughters of Tzalachot came along and said our father he came out of Egypt and therefore he should be receiving a portion in the promised land he had no sons and therefore, we as his daughters, in order to carry on his name, should receive his inheritance so that a portion of the promised land will carry his name forevermore. And that's why they petitioned Moshe with that great request. Strangely, Moshe didn't know what to say. He didn't have an answer. What in fact the ruling should be? On the one hand, the law of inheritance was clear. On the other hand, the demand, the request of the daughters of Tzalachot was quite just. Moshe took their petition to God and asked God what the ruling should be. And God said that the demand, the request of the daughters of Tzalachot was in fact correct. And therefore, the laws of inheritance were adjusted that women in such circumstances were able to inherit. Brings to mind the tremendous question. Moses didn't know the law. After all, God gave Moshe the entire Torah. And we are told that Moshe actually knew what every scholar until the end of time would reveal within Torah. The oral law. The great scholars throughout the ages that came up with tremendous insights and revelations and novel ideas within Torah. Moshe knew it all. Why is it that precisely here he didn't know the law? And then there's a third section of the Pasha which speaks about the various festivals of the year. And the offerings and the services that took place in the temple at those festivals. Pesach, Shavuos. Sukkot, etc., etc., and one wonders how is that all contained within the parsha of Pinchas? What's the connection? What's the relationship? And why, in fact, is it read at this time of the year? What was Pinchas all about? Pinchas was a single individual. He saw something terrible taking place within the Jewish people, within the community. Yes, there was Moses, the sons of Aaron, the elders. Everyone saw something terrible taking place. Pinchas took the initiative. He stood up and said, this cannot be. This is not the way that God wants 
this people to behave. And therefore, despite the fact that he was younger than many, certainly younger than the elders, he stood up with self-sacrifice and took action, brave action, a zealot. But he did it with absolute altruistic motive. He put himself at risk in order to sanctify the name of God. This is what Pinchas did on his own. And because of that, he saves the nation. What does God say? He said, because he avenged me, I did not destroy the people. This is the power of one individual. And ultimately, every individual has that power. Any individual can stand up in a time of need. And despite the fact that there are, well, wiser people, elder people, greater people, but when an individual sees that something has to be done and stands up and does that which has to be done, the ultimate effect is overwhelming. You can save the entire nation, an entire community, an entire people. That's what one individual can do. One individual can save an entire nation. Then we come to the daughters of Tzalachot. Yes, they were learned women. They were noble women. But as a result of their desire to see their father's name recognized and eternalized, they came to Moshe with a tremendously powerful petition and request. And what happened? They revealed a new dimension in Torah. Something even that Moshe didn't know. Moshe knew the entire Torah. But because of their passion for their father's name to be immortalized, they revealed a new dimension in the halacha, in the laws of inheritance. Similar to Pinchas. What did Pinchas do? Through an action, he saves the entire people. What did they do? Through coming with passion and desire to see their father's name immortalized as a just cause, they reveal a new dimension in Torah, something in a sense that is even greater than Moshe himself. And this is something that we can learn from, where an individual is able to see within Torah something that he or she is able to reveal and to release. This is the way we have to study Torah. We study Torah not only by learning that which is there, of course we do. Not only repeating the words of the sages, of course we do. But we have to use our minds, we have to use our passion within the study of Torah so that we can somehow identify and reveal that particular dimension of Torah that is unique to our own personality and reveal that which no one else can. They had that strength. They were able to reveal something in Torah that even Moshe couldn't. And this should be the desire, the ambition of every one of us, that we should have this type of dedication and love for Torah to reveal that 
which is unique to our own soul, and to somehow say, this is my portion in Torah, I want to reveal it. Only I can, because it's my portion. I am connected to that dimension of Torah. And similarly, when it comes to the festivals, how are the festivals proclaimed? Individuals would scan the skies to see when is Rosh Chodesh? Did they see the moon? Witnesses would come running to Jerusalem to appear before the high court. The high court would cross-examine them. Where did you see it? What part of the sky? Where were the horns? It was an involved situation. And then the high court of Sanhedrin would proclaim Rosh Chodesh. And once you proclaimed Rosh Chodesh, you knew when the festival of Pesach would be, when the festival of Sukkot would be, etc., etc. The festivals came about as a result of human action. In other words, through the efforts and involvement and commitment of individuals, you are able to control the holiness of time as well. This is the greatness of the festival. Shabbos, every seventh day, automatically. No one proclaims Shabbos. God instituted Shabbos eternally every seventh day from the seventh day of creation onward, automatically the seventh day of Shabbos. Festivals, this came about as a result of human effort. Simple individuals scanning the skies toward the end of the month, running to Bethlehem and saying, we saw the moon, we saw that first glimmer of the moon. And the courts proclaim Rosh Chodesh, which then, of course, enable the festival to take place. In all areas, in taking a self-sacrificial attitude toward protecting the people, the nation, toward revealing a unique dimension in Torah and the ultimate control of time, everything depends upon an individual. And this is something that we learn from Menachem Av. Who can console the Father? Who can console God? Each and every one of us. But not to look to someone else, that great person, that great person, that learned person. Each and every one of us has that capacity. This is what we learn from Pechas. This is what we learn from the daughters of Tzalafchad. This is what we learn from the festivals. This is what we learn from this Parsha. When we proclaim the month of Menachem Ov. More of that soon. This is the Parsha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about this incredible Parsha, the power of the individual, how individuals not only did heroic acts, but they, they saved the people, they brought out new dimensions of Torah, they actually changed time. So this is the Parsha, Pinchas is the Parsha when all these things come together. The story of Pinchas, the great hero. The story of the daughters of Tzalafchat, who revealed a new dimension in Torah. The story of the festivals, how the Jewish people, when the temple was standing, were able to actually control time and to dedicate the festivals based upon their declaration of when Rosh Chodesh was. But the Parsha goes one step further because our sages tell us something which is quite fascinating. They tell us that Pinchas ze Eliyahu, the soul of Pinchas is the same soul of Elijah the prophet. Now we know Elijah the prophet. We read about him in the book 
of Tanakh, great prophet who, well, fought against terrible king of the idolatry at the time. But we know Elijah as well. He visits every single house on the night of Pesach. When we open the door, he comes in and sips from the wine. He visits every single Brit Milah circumcision when a Jewish child is brought into the covenant of God. But Eliyahu has another extremely important responsibility. Because Eliyahu is the one who is going to herald the coming of Mashiach. He will blow that shofar and tell us that Mashiach is on his way. That's going to be the great gift of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet is not only the one who visits us on the night of Pesach when we celebrate Geula, when we celebrate redemption and liberation. He's not only the one who comes to every Brit when we rededicate the covenant of each and every single Jew with God. He is the one who will call out that Mashiach is on his way, that Mashiach is at redemption is coming. That's who Elijah is. And this is Pinchas, because Pinchas and Eliyahu are one and the same. In other words, Pinchas is the one who calls out. He's the harbinger of Mashiach. He is the one who heralds Mashiach. And this is why Pinchas is always read, either in close proximity, the Shabbos before the three weeks, or like this year, the first Shabbos of the three weeks, because even though this is a time of intense sadness on the one hand, nonetheless we read Pinchas to remind us that Mashiach is on the way. And this is something which is so important for us to understand. That in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of thinking about and recalling, reflecting upon the destruction of the temple, we hear the sound in the distance of Mashiach coming, of Eliyahu, of Pinchas, calling out that Mashiach is on his way. And who was Pinchas? As mentioned before, Pinchas was that single individual who on his own did a heroic act that saved the entire nation. Maimonides tells us something quite fascinating, that the entire world is constantly in a state of absolute balance. On the one hand of the scale are all the good things and deeds. On the other hand, unfortunately, the negative things that people do. And one individual doing one act can tip the balance to the side of good and bring about the ultimate redemption. That's what Maimonides tells us. This is the message of Pinchas. This is the message of Eliyahu. This is the message of Mashiach. This is the consolation that Hashem is asking for, that we should be that individual who tips the scale in the favor of good and brings about redemption. That's the ultimate Menachem of. That's the ultimate consolation that we are hoping for and waiting for and is there. Each and every one of us should apply ourselves to the study of Torah like the daughters of Tzalafat and reveal, reveal that dimension of Torah that is unique to us, that our essential soul is connected to and only we can reveal. We have to have the capacity of controlling time. Controlling time, of course, is the ultimate gift we are able to say that which is so elusive time I am able to control and dedicate it to holiness and to turn it into a festival and to turn it into something which brings about great joy and great festivity. 
This is what this parsha is all about. This parsha is about the individual who's able to bring about unbelievable, infinite, and miraculous change. This is what this parsha is all about. So when you're in shul tomorrow, and you should be in shul tomorrow, because as mentioned before, it's the opportunity of blessing the new month of Menachem Av. Listen to the story. Listen to what God says to Pinchas. Listen to the story of the daughters of Tzalafchad, a fascinating story. Listen to how the festivals are described and how the services take place. Listen to all of that. That's so much part and parcel of the three weeks. That's so much part and parcel of the preparation for consolation in the month of Av. This is something which brings about transformation. It brings about transformation from sadness and grief to ultimate joy and festivity. Parsha Pinchas, a powerful expression of that which can be if we, every one of us, does what we have to do. Good Shabbos.